welcome to episode 46 of Scar Bearers. I'm Chris D.T. Gordon. It is a blessing and a privilege to have you here with me today. And Nate and Britton Barron doing their technological magic for me every week. You want them to work their powers upon your creative works, just reach out to them at Nate Barron. Well, speaking of creative works, folks, I am so excited and happy to announce that my entry into the third volume of Blue Talks Presents Business, Life, and the Universe is on sale at Amazon. You can go check it out at Amazon. And if you have Prime, it is less than $9. There are three over 300 pages of inspiring stories and anecdotes and just wonderful, positive, inspirational goodness in these pages. So go check it out and at Amazon. Again, it's Blue Talks Presents Business, Life, and the Universe, Volume 3. And you'll notice it by having the tree on the cover. Well, today I am so excited to talk with C.L. King. C.L. is one of those people who is five steps ahead of where I am at. It's exciting to speak with him and uh, let's just get to it. CL, how are you today? <laughs> well, I, I, you know what? Thank you so much, Chris. I don't know if I'm five steps ahead. I feel like I'm five steps behind most of the time, but yep. thank you so much for opening up your platform to me and uh, sharing uh, your audience with me. I count it a, a true honor. Well, it's uh, my pleasure, but thank you very much for the accolades. Uh, but like I said, that five steps, I went on your website just to see what you have going on. And we are very similar in a number of ways, not counting the name alone. But you, we are both speakers. We both speak to middle school students. We both use acronyms in our signature talks and programs. But you have accomplished so much in a reasonably short time. Um, and it's amazing to see what effects you've had on the world so far. And I'm excited to see where you go from here. But like me, also like me, you also have come from an area of pain. And I, this is where we differ a bit. So can you please get into your background and what has motivated you to become the motivational speaker and coach that you are? Yes, sir. Thank, thanks again, Chris. And uh, it, it really is, you know, I've, I've been interviewed. I can't recall the amount of times over the past decade, but it really is cool to be able to be interviewed by someone of similar passions, uh, similar genres. And so it actually makes the interview so easy because it's like you're just talking to any good friend who can identify with you. Sometimes, yes. when, I, sometimes when I get interviewed, I feel like I'm being interrogated. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, uh, yeah, I, I started out in Cleveland, Ohio, born there, and I was born in adversity. My mother was abused by my father, broke crutches over her while she was pregnant with me. Uh, then I was after I was born, I was taken away from my mother around three because I got a hold of some alcohol that was left out and, and it, it, I had to be resuscitated. It was a very traumatic situation. Got placed in a foster home in Pennsylvania. Uh, that was the first foster home. Then I came back to live with my grandmother. My grandmother, whatever the, whatever the John or the thought processes though, that that generation had, they thought it was okay to treat kids a certain kind of way. So mm -hmm. when I was living with her and my dad was there, 
they both were very abusive to me. My, my dad punched me like a, an adult closed fist. I remember that vividly calling me dumb MF. Like it was my next, that was my common name. My grandmother would put me out in the garage with the dogs in the middle of Cleveland, Ohio winters, the detached garage out there with the dogs as a, as a form of punishment. And so, you know, I'm thinking to myself, wow, you know, I'm supposed to be in a safe haven, but it's, it's not that way. I'm experiencing this physical abuse. I was a very nervous kid because I was getting beat all the time. And so I had bowel troubles. And I remember one time when I had a, a, an accident, if you will, uh, my dad filled up the tub and wanted me to wash my clothes. This is back before washing machines was cool, I guess. Um, <laughs> my, my dad held me under the tub in the water. And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, not just in that moment, but, you know, in a series of thoughts, it can't be like this. You can't treat the ones you love like this. And why am I going through this? Um, and so somehow I got, I got moved from there to my mom's house. You know, I had been with her since I was three. So it was an opportunity, you know, let's try it with mom. This might be when I was 10 years old. And my mom's situation went from the frying pan to the fire. Mm -hmm. And so there was there was all types of, of, of sexual violations, physical violations, molestations, all different types of things happening under the roof that I was privy to, that I actually was in the room when my sister got molested. And also she was in the room when I got molested. It was it was very, very traumatic times. Roaches covering the wall, hunger, lights always off, going to soup kitchens and homeless shelters to eat, running drug money across town, me and my sister, and we'd run the drug money and be so hungry that we'd spend the money. That, that, that's just the type of life that it was. And uh, we got street savvy because that's what, you know, sometimes my mom would be in, in jail and it would just be me and my sister. My sister's only a couple years older than me. And that was the life that I was living then at that dispensation. And Chris, I'm just like, how can this be going on? It can't always be like this. And so uh, I remember yeah. and I'm, I'm working on I, I, that was your book that you were introducing in the, in the opening. Right. At least a book I'm uh I partnered with a number of yeah, other writers. I was going to write a book on leadership on some of the things that you may have seen on my website. And I was going to write a book on uh, the edge of the huddle, how to get engagement out of your organization. But I think I've changed that since I've been given so many speeches and I'm deciding to talk about this next portion of my life. Uh, my, my mother, uh, my mother's husband, who was abusive to both my sister and I, um, he went out to a soup kitchen that one night and got a brownie, brought a brownie back for my mother. And uh, he left it in the refrigerator. So that night I went because I was starving. I was severely malnutrition, di diagnosed malnutrition, severely malnutrition. I went in the refrigerator and broke off a corner of that brownie. And then uh, I, it was so good. I broke off another corner, Chris. <laughs> and then I kept reforming the brownie back and kept going back until it was all gone. And the very next day, my mother said, listen, who ate my brownie? And that's going to be the title of my book. And my sister said, I, I'm, she's not telling on me. My sister loved me dearly. And she knows that I ate it because I told her that I did. And uh, my mother says, I'm going to beat you all every single day until someone tells me where my brownie went. Now, what we got whipped with, Chris, was not your typical belt or whatever, you a little paddle. We got whipped with something that was made out of the fan belt material in your car. I still got material. I still got welts on my body, my back, my backside from that almost 40 years ago, 35 years ago, Chris. 
And so I said, you know what, Melinda, I love you. I love my baby sister who's in the crib there, but I am not going to get beat another day. There's got to be something more than this. So I walked out the front door that next morning, left the front door wide open and stayed on the streets of Cleveland for six months by myself. Now it, it's something when you, when you, when you tell people, Hey, look, when I go, I go, I go to middle school, high school, whatever I say, Hey, listen, how many of y'all got a home to go to? Most of them will raise their hand. In fact, all of, all of yeah. them raised their hand. Okay. So, gotcha. so Chris, when, uh, when I walked out that front door, my, um, my mentality was there's got to be something more than this. So I would go to soup kitchens. I would still go to school. Sometimes I'd show up at the school. The teachers would give me double breakfasts and double lunches. But this is just a time period in which, you know, not a lot was reported. And, and here I am meandering through the streets of Cleveland as an 11 year old kid. Well, through time, they get the word that here I am, C.L. King, Chris King, back in those days, homeless, and, and, and they put me in, they get me connected with social services, so I get sent to a group home. I'm thinking, okay, here we're on the road to recovery, Chris, and in the group home, the exact same things happened to me in the group home, because I was 12 oh, no. years old, that were happening to me at my mother's house, and you can just imagine, I don't have to rehearse all of it, but it was a devastating time, it was a tragic time, and I probably have PTSD from all of that stuff in that in that time period. And so they, they took me out of that group home, put me in a another foster home, thinking, I'm thinking, man, man maybe we're going to go forward. Um, and then that foster home didn't work, so I got sent back to the group home, mm. where, the, where the behaviors were repeated. So when you're going from home to home, it, are you reaching out to the you know, to the administration that's in charge of this situation and telling them, hey, this is what's happening? Or, you know, what is causing you to go back and forth here? Well, well, the, the when I left the, 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 the group home the first time, they realized that I was too young to be there because the other kids there were like 16, 17, 18 years old. And these were some hardened folks from the streets of Cleveland. You know what I'm yeah. saying? These weren't your local, local yokels. These were, these were guys that, that uh, they were there for a reason, you know? And, and so when I, when I left, no, I never reported it. I never reported. In fact, you know, just in the last couple of years, have I actually given illumination to my story? Obviously I use it when I go speak, but not to the degree that I've been telling it over the last couple of years. Yeah. And so so when I when I went to the uh, the first foster home and that did not work and they sent me back, they realized that I couldn't stay there. I never told anyone that this stuff was going on. Sometimes the staff caught the actions happening. OK. Wow. And so they they put, sent me to a second foster home, Ruth E. Plowden, Ruth and Paul Plowden in Lorraine, Ohio. And that was where things began to pivot. That was the axis by which I began to turn my life towards a, a, an untried breeze. My foster mom told me she knew all the stuff. She had 83 foster kids over 30 years. Wow. And I was her favorite, no doubt. <laughs> and, and she said, Chris, you can take all of that negativity, all of that stuff. I know what you went through with your parents. I know what you went through in the group homes. I know what everything that you went through, but you can take all of that and use it as an excuse to fail, or you can use it as an excuse to change the world. And so I did. I lived there from age about 13. If I recall, my numbers are a little foggy, 13 to 18. At age 18, I was working at church on the North Coast with Pastor Louis and Tina Caton. They helped me lead a, a co-lead a mission.
missions trip to Bailden, England, where I talked to tens of thousands of people as an 18 year old kid. And I realized that, yes, the fulfillment of what I was supposed to be doing was going to be in my story. Wow. So, so if you don't mind me asking, uh, how did it feel to be speaking across the pond, as they say, to thousands of people and sharing your story? Uh, It was, it was, it was like you, you know, you put on that pair of shoes that, that just fits just perfectly. I can't change a tire, Chris. I'm not mechanically inclined. I'm not engineer. I don't have any of those skills. I can, you know what I'm saying? I can barely fry and boil eggs. But Mm -hmm. the one thing that God has given me this ability to do is take the spoken word and inspire people with it. And so when, when, you know, I was doing that in a small measure at church on the North coast in a children's ministry, I was going to the inner cities of Cleveland, Ohio and, and reaching kids and talking to kids and bringing them back to our program. But then when I got to see that people actually would listen and be affected by what I would say, I said, this is what I'm supposed to do. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and, and finding that purpose is, is everything especially I'm assuming, you know, to you when you've gone through such tribulation and so many trials, it must have felt like God was smiling on you at that point, at that moment. It had, it, it had to be definitely. And I'm thankful for my foster mom. I give her credit. She'll be in many pages of my book because she is the one who uh, she was a drill sergeant, but she was loving. She was a loving drill sergeant. And uh, she, she just, she pushed me. She pushed me. She pushed me. And she knew that there was something greater in me than I couldn't even see myself. And uh, it was my foster dad who encouraged me to go into the United States Marine Corps just to grow up a little bit from, uh, you know, that time I, I married my high school sweetheart at 19. And we've been married ever since, Chris, and we've res- been residing here in North Carolina for the past 26 years, uh, raised seven children, and uh, it just doing very, very blessed, far better than I deserve. That's fantastic. Congratulations, CL. Yes, sir. So, when you entered the Marines, what resonated, you know, what with you when you're in that service? Well, I can tell you this Marine Corps, is, you know, folks will debate on what the hardest service is. I can say outside of the Navy SEALs and Special Forces, the Marine Corps is the toughest and longest boot camp there is. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was adversity. And I was like, you know what, I, I seem to thrive in adversity. I feel like I was born, Chris, like you in adversity, like the sea turtle. You know what I mean? There, there's just this there's this tenacity that that one percent will make it. And uh, I went I went in the Marine Corps and I, I realized, man, this was going to be painful. They weren't going to hand me anything. It was going to be a grind. And it was like the harder they were on us, the more I loved it. And uh, some people hated boot camp, but I absolutely loved it. I was like, man, bring it on, make it harder. And uh, it, because that was the, that was the way I was born. I was born in that. And so I loved, I loved the rigidness. I love the perfection. I love the excellence. And uh, I carry that a lot in, even in my presentations at school, I'm not your typical, you know, fluff speaker. I, I tended, I have a tendency to demand a lot out of the young people listening because um, listen, unless you've been homeless on the streets, having people stuff bread through a fence to you, I don't want to hear it. I want, I want you to know that you got breath and you still can make it. And so that's what we, that's kind of our message that no matter the adversity, you still can make it. That's fantastic. And by the way, I think, uh, be a sea turtle is the title of your next book. 
Odyssey. <laughs> we got to do it, brother. <laughs> yeah, be a sea turtle. That's fantastic. They I'm got my attention it. I, right away. I'm feeling it, man. I, I, you know, I talk about it a lot when I'm speaking publicly, and I'm like, you know, I consider myself a sea turtle. I might get one for my birthday here. Who knows? Um, but you're yeah. right. Be a sea turtle, man, because the the odds of it making it to adulthood is like one out of one thousand eggs that are laid makes mm-hmm. it to actual adulthood. So yeah, I'm, I, I love that animal. Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic analogy, especially for what you have faced. Wow, I you know, it it impresses me so much that you've gone even to the Marines. But now I'm going to ask you to take me from the Marines. You know, what was your next course of action? Well, after after the Marine Corps, I began to work for the federal government, and uh, actually, no, I did not. I did not start working for that. I worked for the state government as an educator. Uh, they, they found out that I was in the Marine Corps and they thought every Marine is a drill sergeant. So they wanted me to come and work at this severe behavior school. Back in those days, it was called, you know, like BEH, behavior, emotionally handicapped. These were the kids K through 12 that couldn't function in the mainstream education. And so they had this little place and uh, they had them all there (laughs) congregated. And these were some assaultive psychotropic medication, all different types blended in the one place. And uh, I, I was started out as a mentor. Then when I found out there was a position open there, uh, I applied and, and I began, I loved it. And I began to, I ran a juvenile, I ran a little boot camp for those kids. <laughs> and as you can imagine, it was pretty intense because yeah. these were some intense kids. But I, I, I began to recognize that, you know, my calling is to continue that. And, and as I meandered from there into federal service in the federal government, it wasn't until about 10, 2010 that I realized that I was not fulfilling my full purpose, Chris. I remember kind of like the echoes of my foster mom saying, use your story to change the world. And so I sat down with my best friend, Greg Smith. We went to Golden Corral. I sat down with him, nobody around, no fanfare. And I said, listen, I want to start a nonprofit. I want to do it full time. I want to go out here and I want to, I want to reach the world, brother. I got a story and I'm telling you, we can do it. He was like, okay, let's go. And so the first event that we did, Chris, there was like eight students there. Uh, they were half asleep. They weren't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I felt like, uh, okay, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to do in life because I will starve to death trying to do this. <laughs> <laughs> the first one's always the worst though, right? Yeah, right, right. Um, and, you know, but but after that, uh, the you know, it, and it, it is a sl- it's a slow process. You know, I, I do teach a course on, uh, you know, becoming a motivational speaker because it's a hard industry. Uh, even if you got a great passion and a great purpose, even a great message, the industry is difficult. And so we just began to develop a consistency. We started holding conferences ourselves, and uh, you know, by 2012, we had hosted the largest bullying summit. Me and Greg and our team here in North Carolina, it was called Bully Free in NC, had about 400 educators right at the Riverfront Convention Center. And we realized that, yes, this is this can work and we're going to do this. We had that year, I think we had spoken to about 30,000 people in one year while we're still juggling all of our other responsibilities. Wow. And so we just continued to grind. We continue to get our message out. And uh, uh, to date, because we keep very, as a Marine, you got to be detailed. We keep very copious notes. We've reached about 375,000 people with the spoken word word and message of you can overcome anything no matter the adversity and so that that's uh that's what's really exciting about this phase in my life 
is that, uh, you know, now God, I'm truly walking in the purpose that God has me in. Yes, it sounds like it. Wow, that's awesome. Where have you spoken? You know, to reach this uh, 300K? Well, at schools, in our, our, the pillar of our organization is we focus on the school, the community, the faith-based, uh, the home, and the individual child. So anywhere where that, that dynamic would be, that's where we go. You know, obviously, as an at-risk youth speaker, that's my passion. I want to talk to young people who are struggling. Uh, you know, I, I speak a lot in the inner city, but really, it, it has it, uh, it started there, but then it just ballooned to so many different other venues, boys and girls clubs, speaking for them at their national events and, and uh, you know, teachers associations, back-to-school rallies for staff and administrators. Uh, so we have, we have really ran the full gamut, the state capitol here, in, in our in our state, North Carolina, we went up there and talked to the legislatures about our movement and what we were doing in terms of a youth intervention and and everywhere in between. One day, you know, I could be speaking at an Awanas club, a 4 H club, and uh, it really has been a whirlwind of events. And uh, we're just blessed that people have entrusted us with with an opportunity to share this message, and and we don't take it for granted. That's that's fantastic. So. Speaking of that message, I saw on the website that one of the your signature talks or your programs is called Gear. Yeah. So can you speak a little bit about that? Man, I'm gonna do it quick, brother. I know I got to give it to it a sound bite. Gear yep. is Gear is an acronym, and it, it just simply has four letters: understanding your giftings. I try to teach young people to identify their gifts. My gift wasn't changing tires. My gift was running my mouth. Uh, the E in Gear stands for uh, uh, unveiling the energy and endurance required to fulfill that gift. You can be a speaker and you can go out there and speak, but you don't understand. It's going to take you a grind. It's going to take you a long time to get to truly where the, where it's putting food on your table. So you got to have energy that's picking the weight up off the ground and you got to have endurance. That's holding the weight over your head. How long can you do it before don't quit. And that's what we try to instill in our young people. When you don't see the, when you don't see things going the way you want them to, it's going to take your energy and your endurance to run that race. Um, the I, uh, what, 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 no, that's geared. I got two, I got two systems. G A. <laughs> the A is for activate. A is for activate. Oftentimes uh, young people, adults, moms and dads, whatever, they, they have all these giftings or they identify their gift. They may under, they might get themselves prepared. They might go out and buy some weights, but they never activate. The stuff sits on their, on the shelf and it never, it never materializes. One thing that you got to do is you cannot be cloaked in fear. Fear cannot be the tapestry of your life. So you've got to activate. Even when everything says this ain't going to work, sometimes activation is what puts things in order. And then the last in the gear training is the R, which is monitor results. I'm a certified Lean Six Sigma Green Belt. And so I help organizations use statistical analysis to find where their defects in their processes are. And so one of the things with Six Sigma is, is that you got to understand the results. Results are important, Chris. What I try to tell young people is, listen, you, you here's what I do. I, you know, I'm on a weight loss journey for like the umpteenth million time in my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm gonna get slim as you very soon. Just watch. <laughs> but 
I wasn't going on the scale every day when I was putting Twinkies in my mouth, was I? No, I wasn't going on the scale when I was eating like a pig. But now that I've determined that I want results for health, lower my blood pressure, all that stuff, I go on the scale every day. Now, I know a lot of weight fitness folks tell you, oh, don't worry about the scale. No, because I wasn't worrying about it before and it got me in the mess that I'm in now. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? And so I, I try to teach young people that results are important. Now, listen, if you're going to start a podcast, don't quit till you've done 100 episodes. You know, I my first 15 or 20 episodes of my podcast were a train wreck and it was disastrous. But I realized consistency, energy and endurance. I knew I was in my gift. I had activated my calling and now I'm just looking at the results. Now, you know, uh, the the reach of our show on so many different platforms, I would have never thought the reach would be as it is, but it's just, it was that gear. I got in gear and I utilized that acronym even in my own personal life. Yeah, I think that is key is that if you are living what you're, you know, what you're preaching, it speaks even more strongly than you just, you know, gabbing at the mic. You yes, know, so I, I think that's that's entirely going to be the backbone of that success. Is well, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna say to do it, I'm gonna do it too. Yes, sir. Yeah. So that's that's fantastic, and I and I wish you well on your journey there. Uh, so going back just really quick um, to your comment about the speaking. What is one key uh, uh, key thought or key uh, process that a speaker needs in order to be successful if they're just starting out? Well, yeah, that's one. <laughs> yeah, I know there you you and I both know there's there's several, but one yeah. that I think that I've used the most for me, Chris, and this is just me. Zig Ziglar may tell you I'm full of baloney, but this is just me being authentic. Being authentic because kids especially can sniff out a phony. You know what I mean? They can sniff out a fake. And I would go to schools and, you know, you'd be, you're intimidated. The, the lady who's the, or the person who's hiring you has got a PhD. They got all this education. And so you got to sound a certain way to ring everybody's bell in the audience. But the truth of the matter is the folks who can't pay are your biggest customers. That Those are the kids. And so, I, you know, I used to give out surveys Uh, When I would go speak at schools and stuff and I would hear you're too loud or, you know, stuff like that. I'm just like, wow. And so I stopped I stopped giving out surveys because when I when I when when I look on my Facebook page and see what the students say, they're they're the ones that I'm trying to impact. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so being your most authentic self is really, I feel, uh, essential. Um, you know, because if you do, if you're not authentic, the kids will find out. I can just tell you this, a guy I was, I was speaking at uh, a school in Kinston, North Carolina, Mm -hmm. and uh, a guy had came the previous year. He was a, he was a PhD, blah, 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 highfalutin cat. And the, and the students overran his speech so much so that, that he had to, he had to sit down. They, the the kids were so rowdy and disrespectful, right? Now, this guy's got all this education, and but he, whatever he was doing, it didn't resonate with that audience. That audience was 99.9% African-American. Those students live in, in, in tough poverty, and you can't go in there half-stepping. You got to bring it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So when I went in there, they were all, all the teachers were like, and the, the principal was like, hey, listen, we'll be, we'll be right by the aisles. We'll be standing by. I said, y'all go on over there on the side of the wall. Okay, y'all just go on, leave me to these children. 
I got this. Well, they were like, well, we just want to let you know last year, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, 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 no. You, you don't understand. I, I got it. And I think working in Joshua Kids in the inner city, when you go there with a tarp and a megaphone and talk to kids in their own neighborhood and get them to sit down and listen to you, you, you develop some skills, right? Yeah. So I, I, would, I went into Rochelle Middle. That was the hypest, most uh, amazing school I have ever spoken. I've spoken in 200-something schools. That school was the bomb. Those kids were amazing. I brought some of the, the cheerleaders and, and the group up on the stage, and they was hyped. But, but, I, I, but, but then when I held my hand up, you could hear a pin drop in there. And I got a video of that. I, did, I got him saying, row, 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 shell, row, row. It was pumping, man. It was, they was dancing, bobbing and weaving. And then when I held my hand up, cause I needed to get them a message. You could hear a pin drop because they, they knew that I was authentic and authenticity after you, if you know, when you get your, your, what's the program that you can go through uh, that to learn how to be a better speaker? What's it called? Oh, there are a number of them. Um, like the competition thing where you go. Oh, uh, Toastmasters. Yeah, yeah, you can go through that. And I don't knock anybody that does. I wasn't a good fit for Toastmasters, but yeah. that, whoever, if that's your gig. But after you go through all of that, you still got to be your most authentic you. And uh, that is what people would want because you got to connect with them through authenticity. Yes, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And it's, I love that story, by the way. Thank you for sharing that because I, I think it just uh, exemplifies how important it is to be your authentic self. Because if you're not bought into who you are, no one else will buy into it. That's right. Yeah. So what is next for CL? I want to hear what, what plans you have for the near future here. Well, man, I tell you what, if, if January, if the rest of the year is going to be anything like January, then I'm going to be, my tongue's going to be hanging out on the floor by the, by the end of this year. Uh, you know, because we're in a different posture and construct now relative to, uh, you know, I did a lot of brick and mortar speeches, but now I do, you know, everything through Zoom. I do a lot of Zoom rallies at, for schools. And of course, you know, with our podcast, our podcast is another branch of what we do. Uh, and it, it really has a, given us a platform to give other people a platform. And it's really just really just taken off, Chris. I just I mean, our, some of our numbers in the summer was our, our, our weekly reach was about 50,000 people. So it, it, we were wow. we were so so uh, the, the thing that I, that I think this next is to really buckle down and finish this book. I've been hee-hawing about it for, for like forever. And, you know, I thought I was going in one direction, but I do feel even though I love leadership, even though I love organizational leadership, I love helping organizations with their leadership. I do feel like the story that, that I just shared with your audience uh, could impact so many more because, you know, my primary customer are, are the young people. So, yeah, yeah. we're just going to continue our calendars full, uh, you know, three or four three or four months at a time. And so, you know, I, I'm, we're just going to continue to fulfill that vision. We, you know, we have sponsors that help us in our show and we have sponsors that help us in our programs. And so we're just continuing to march forward, sir. We're it, consistency, energy and endurance. We're, we're, we're not a, a overnight sensation. Uh, and and I'm, I've become happy with that. I don't, you know, I see people on TikTok, you know, they got 75 million views and they were just showing how they pulled the butter out the refrigerator. I don't care, about, <laughs> I don't care nothing about that, man. I don't care about, and, and I would encourage speakers, don't get, in, don't get caught up in being viral. Get mm -hmm. caught up in being authentic. 
and being consistent and, and all that other piece will come later on. You know, I know what it's like to stand in front of an audience of 20,000 people, but you know what? It's no different than standing in front of of an audience of 20 people. I give the same speech to 20 that I give the 20,000. That's because I'm, I'm going to be true to the game. I'm going to be true to myself. And, uh, and so that's what we're doing, man. My, I got a team together. We got a team of about six folks that are helping with, uh, you know, it's a, it's a machine, you know, reaching out, getting bookings, all of that kind of stuff. It's, it's all a machine. And that, that's important that that can, continues to happen if you want to keep eating. But on, yeah. the, on the other side of it, it is not the primary driver anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, God has been very, very good to us. And yeah. so, you know, now it, it, there's not this pressure like, oh, if I don't have a speech today or a paid event, you know, we're going to starve. No, we, we, God has been very good to us. And so we can be authentic and we can even be selective. And, and we're happy about that. That's awesome. That's great to have that choice. Now, I have to ask you, though, when you're talking about your book, do you have it in your schedule, dates and times to work on your book? No, man, I was supposed to start in January. <laughs> oh, come on. Schedule it. If you don't schedule it, it won't get done. So I'm challenging you to step up and and schedule times to work on your book. Okay, so let me ask you this. Now, we're going to flip roles here, and I'm going to interview you for a minute on your own show. Sounds good. For me, I I guess the biggest challenge has been, you know, and I've had a lot of people reach out to me. Many authors have been on my show. But the challenge for me is I'm not, I don't like to write, okay? It's just not my thing. So I would rather be able to dictate the book and then, have it be printed. Is that, is that a possibility? Did you do that some with yours? You know, I've always been able to, you know, put my words in you know, onto a page, whether uh, writing physically or typing. And so I, I didn't have to uh, do a dictation, but I mean, there are programs that you could use. Um, but, and I think what you, you know, what you might be able to do, you can look, check this out is, speaking to a recorder and see if there's a way to have that placed into a word processor, you know, word processor or program like that and see what that does for you. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of like using audacity. Yeah. yeah. Audacity records and I could just go, you know, chapter one, it doesn't have to be a super, I, yeah, I don't envision a, a, a 5,000 page book because I want young people to read it and I want it to be easy. You know what I'm saying? I want it to be easy to be, uh, to be delivered and, and received, but yeah, you're, you're like the, the fifth person in the last 17, 18 days that said, I need to get on the stick. So uh, <laughs> it's got, obviously God speaking through y'all and this is confirmation. Yeah. Well, I, I just know how much it's helped me to put things on the schedule because between teaching and family life and podcasts and trying to find speaking engagements, if I don't have it on the, on the calendar, I'll forget it. And then someone will say, so are you coming to the zoom meeting for my interview? Like, Oh, uh, no, I am now, you know, and I look unprofessional. So yeah, I would schedule that time. Yes, sir. I'm. I, you, you're right, and uh, I I do schedule almost everything else. I really do. I use Calendly and my Google Calendar like it's cool. Like that really is running our life now, uh, right. because so much is electronic, and it is very easy to forget. You know, yes. if you don't, if you don't, if you don't have this piece scheduled in, and then check it too. <laughs> um. Uh. But yeah, I I want to get into a rudiment. How was your drum beat in terms of you know how much you. Uh, put into it, you know, leading up to finishing it? 
you know, I just contributed a chapter to this book, so it wasn't too bad. I what, what I did was I took a week and I, I I told myself, all right, I'm going for at least 250 words every day, and it, I found that by doing that, by not saying I'm gonna get the whole thing done in one day or I'm gonna do too little, you know, I found enough where I was like, okay, I have a a good goal to aim for every day. And by doing that, I was able to accomplish it with relative ease. Uh, you know, I did go back and, re and revise and edit and all that good stuff, but I felt that setting a reasonable daily goal for myself really helped out. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm gonna do that. And, you know, I can, make, I can make the audio files because you know, I love to talk. I can make the audio files and, and you can save them and go back to them. So that that's, that's, I think where I'm going to go. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. So can I get back to interviewing now? Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. Take over <laughs> your show. I'm sorry. Right. So, uh, you know, you're just going back one more, uh, one more time to your past. If you were to talk to yourself as you're going through that experience, knowing what you know now, what would you say to help would, you get through it? Yeah, I would say um, that it's not your fault because uh, I'll be honest with you, Chris, and I'll just be, I, I, you know, I, I try to be an open book and sometimes maybe I say too much, but I want to, I want to just, if we're going to give this to an audience, man, let's just be, let's do something that maybe can help them. And I, and I realize I've been married 26 years I've uh, been out of that situation for 28, 29. Well, I don't know. I left my foster home then. But a lot of people think when they see your success and they see, you know, all that you've got and you've got a perfect picture, perfect family and white picket fence and all that, they think, oh, man, there wasn't nothing. But I carried a lot of darkness into my, my family. I carried a lot of darkness into my marriage, bro. And uh, nothing, nothing compared to what I experienced. I didn't repeat some of the egregious offenses that were done to me, and not, not at all. But there were things that we didn't understand why I was having a struggle until I began to unearth them. And I felt like that, I, I, you know, I, maybe it was because of me. Maybe it was my fault that my dad treated me like that. Maybe it was because I didn't do well in school that my mom felt that way. Maybe, maybe it was, maybe it was my fault. And what I would say to that 11 year old kid sitting at the soup kitchen table is, man, it's not your fault. <clears throat> your current situation is not because of you. And uh, there's some young people that will, will may hear this one day, Chris, and, and I want them to know that, that the, you know, the little girls or young boys or whatever who have gone through abuse, emotional, physical, whatever, that, that it's not your fault. And, and, you know, there are adults that I talk to now that are finding, you know, liberty to be able to come out and tell their stories of physical and sexual abuse, men even as, as, as uh, adults. And one thing that I would say, I, I think the echo is that it wasn't your fault. And, uh, you know, when I have, I've raised seven children, Chris, I've never once punched any of my kids, never once sexually abused any of my kids, never once left them out in the cold um, because it's not their fault. 
that I went through what I went through. And so what I went through was a teacher to help me not do to them what was done to me. I applaud you. And I'm so thankful for you for sharing that message, CL, that I think hopefully that will help someone out because I know so many kids feel that they deserve what they're getting and they absolutely do not. Right. So thank you for sharing that. So to uh, end our conversation on a little lighter note, what is your favorite dinosaur? Yeah, man, I saw that on the on the questionnaire. I was like, this got to be some sort of typo. My favorite dinosaur is the T-Rex. You know why? Because yeah. uh, I'm becoming less of a meat eater, by the way. But let me just parenthetically <laughs> that piece. <laughs> All right. Fish and chicken for sure. Still, yep. um, T-Rex is is he's he he dominates now. Now, you know, this is going to sound kind of egotistical, but speakers have a have a bit of an ego, at least an air of an ego. Let me just explain that I don't want I, I don't want to strive and lace up my shoes to be second best. I don't want to lace up my shoes to get the, the third place ribbon. I want to dominate. I want to be number one. I want to unseat Eric Thomas and be the number one speaker in the world. That's my goal. And the T, the T-Rex, that cat, there was, <laughs> there was very few that walked up on the T-Rex without bringing their lunch because he, he dominated uh, the, the earth at that time. And so that's why I love the T-Rex because it's just so powerful. Oh, that sounds awesome. I know he's a fan favorite of many of my guests. So, uh, and I love the way you explained your reason. So yes, CL, man, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you a little more and to hear your story. Thank you so much for sharing it. Where can people find you? It's uh, very, very simple. All they've got to go to is clkingspeaker.com. And they can, uh, if they would like, um, if the, it's a principal that wants us to come to their school, surely you can just fill out the informational form there. Or if you'd like to listen to our podcast, it's all there. Facebook, everything uh, that links to what we do is right there. CLKingSpeaker.com. Excellent. Thank you very much, sir. And folks, if you want to reach out to me to find out what I have going on in the world of speaking and podcasting, you can go to linktr.ee forward slash Chris D.T. Gordon. You'll find a link to the book I am now in. I'm so excited to say I'm an officially an author now. Blue Talks presents Business Life in the Universe, Volume 3. You can also find the podcast, the YouTube channel, my speaking websites, and some other goodness there. So thank you very much for joining me today. Please have a great day. And remember to pass on perfection and go for greatness. Greatness.